What's up to all our sidekicks and henchmen out there in the Geek Nation? Hi! Uh, my name is Noel and I'm your de facto, just for a little bit, stepdaddy host. Uh, while JD is not able to make it today, joining us is... Yo, what's up? Highlight your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. Hello. Hi, it's and... Brandon, a.k.a. Inspector Space Time Tribble. Not to be uh, last, but always last, because he's the worst. Oh, it's me, Ryan. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> How are you guys doing this morning? Uh, doing good, doing good. All right, All right, so we found out about an hour ago that JD couldn't join, and we're slapped this together, and Len told us that it's going to be a much tighter ship, so he scared us. <laughs> he threatened, before we went live, he threatened us, um, and you should all know that if any of us starts blinking erratically, it's because we need help. <laughs> Uh, Action figure expert said, JD is not here? What the F? Oh, boy. Oh, yes. I mean, we could... I mean, please stop. Please don't stop watching. But in all seriousness, no, though, um, everyone give JD some love, because he's going through something right now. So, like, go on Twitter and say, like, hey, JD, we love you. JD, I love you. Yeah. He's fine. Everything will be fine. We're, it's, it was just an emergency. Okay. Um, real quick. Real quick diversion. Yeah. Okay. This is the first for the first time. In Wait, a- how long? When this is not a, okay. a tight shift, just so you got letters. For th- but- <laughs> 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 has, has I'm curious if people in the in the in the chat and shout out to each and every one of you, Christopher Goodnight, action figure expert, Samuel, David, Max, <clears throat> all of you out there watching us on YouTube and on Facebook and on Twitch. I'm curious if each of you have picked up on the boy crush that Brandon has very hard for our Johnny Destructor. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was a shared boy crush. Oh. Actually, isn't that why we all talk? Because <laughs> we all have shared crushes on each other? Yeah, that was my understanding. Isn't that what friendship is? is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it oh, my it God. Is. <laughs> I suppose it is. <laughs> Well said, Brandon. Well said. Uh, I'm just gonna instead of saying these are my friends, these are my crushes. I'm just gonna like, yeah. I'm gonna socialize that as much as possible to see how pe- how many people just like weirdly look at me. Less and less, the more you do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, it's my job to to normalize it. Yeah. it. Sweet. It's a man crush. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I presume that's JD jumping in uh, to just to just ver- like to truly verify like it's 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 masculine. It's masculine. It's a man crush. Exactly. It's a mature man crush. Um, anyway, guys, we have a letter. We have, we have letters. Letter? We have lots we of lots of lots, of lots of letters. Letters. All right. So this came from Anthony Drago, which I I mean I always think of Rocky Four, but. Whatever. So, he writes, When I wrote in and criticized Invincible, Noel and JD disagreed with me. You guys love it, but hey, the book is not for me. Or maybe it's not right for me now. 
Maybe I'll leave it and come back to it. But here's a question for all of you. What creator or piece of work is considered critically renowned but was not for you? My answer is Grant Morrison. I read Batman R.I.P., Multiversity, and We Three. I just don't get it or what he's doing with his books. What, what say you guys? I have one right now that's like fairly new. But uh, once in future, I read the first six issues and it just did not do it for me. I know a lot of people are really liking it, but for me, it was just, eh. What do you mean by, what, eh? um, what about it? Uh, so it felt kind of like, and I, this might just be me, but it felt like there was a lot of, like, England references. Because I know, I think it's because, like, I know a little bit about Arthurian War, but not a lot. And so I could see the references enough, but not enough to actually get them. And so I kept feeling like I was missing something. And so, yeah, that was it for me. I, you know what, I'm going to piggyback on your answer, and I'm just going to say half of Kieran Gillen's work. Yeah. Because mm. Once in Future does work for me, and I really, really like it. You're right. Those weird, like, reference points of, like, very, very deep cultural reference points sometimes stumbled, especially in the first couple issues. But then I just started rolling with it. And, yeah. and of course, you know, the first couple of reviews that we did, there's somebody like Brian there who... <laughs> would give us, like, the etymology and the origin of every single reference. <laughs> so it really helped, like, get into it. But Sweet. almost every, like, half of Karen Gillan's stuff, uh, Wicked and Divine, I could not get into. I tried three different times. Um, Phonogram, I could not get into. I tried two different times. He has a way of picking, Die was just okay, and I stopped after, like, six issues. He has a way of taking something that he's passionate about and not really caring about accessibility yeah so either you're into it and if you are it's amazing or if you're not you you just have to sit on the sidelines because this isn't for you period so a lot of kieran gillen stuff i have trouble with yeah yeah i, I feel you on that uh jd actually mentions that's pretty common with kieran gillen's uh oeuvre um well, he's got time to spell when he's out uh, off the show. Uh, and Christopher Goodnight says, <laughs> Invincible is only just okay. I've never been in love with that series. Um, the book that immediately comes to mind to me, he's mentioning Get Grant Morrison, is a lot of Grant Morrison stuff. I like Grant Morrison as a writer. He has big ideas. I just think sometimes his ideas are so big that he doesn't stick the landing with a lot of his uh, with some of his work the work that i have found um so i like him in theory just that in practice i find myself like eh, uh, I, I don't know i don't know about this the, here's a critical acclaim that i never got though <clears throat> i never got the love artist wise for um oh i think his name was michael turner I think he's, he's, yeah. he's, he passed away, I'm sorry to say. Oh, yeah. Um, but I never got the love for his art. I ne I, not one bit. I just didn't see it. He drew the same person, every same woman, <laughs> the same guy. The same woman every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just never yeah. got it. Like his different, the difference between Supergirl and that Fathom character is literally just hair color. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, yeah. Um. That was, that's a very specific style, though, too. Like, that was the, the mid to late 90s True. image, Top Cow style. Like, I still have never gone back and read Witchblade or anything because just that style always turned me off. Mm -hmm. See, like, I liked, it's just um, cheesecakey. I liked his art, and I never cared much for the image. Like, I agree totally that it's, it is that style. But I, for whatever reason, I like his art. And 
image when image was coming out it was like eh, i don't you know i'm not into it and maybe maybe to me it's like it hits a like it perfected that that mm-hmm. style or whatever but but yeah i can all, but i've also heard a lot of people say that they're not too into it like so there you go what about you b um what yeah that's a good question you know i've been i've been trying to think and some various things have popped in but i'll i'll triple down on grant morrison right like some of his stuff is some of the best stuff that I've <laughs> comic stuff that I that I've ever read, and then other stuff is just like, oh, I you know you're doing you're trying to do something cool, but it, it's it's uh, it's too involved yeah. to be you know it's too yeah. far in yeah. Uh, Grant Morris, it's like he's always throwing a party, and sometimes you get an invite, and sometimes you have to watch from yeah. like the window. Yeah, well, uh, we're but good. he's always throwing a party. We're mm-hmm. good because Morrison has apparently like. Green Lantern's his last like DC thing ever, according That's to. That's what he said. I saw that. Liam Sharp said he's yeah. done with DC. We'll see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We'll see when it's all. You know, if he ever comes back or not. I bet <laughs> if he has a cool Flash idea, he'd come back to do the Flash. Or, you know who knows. Rob Patey says that Michael Turner was Rob Liefeld with feet. <laughs> I mean. Right. He- yeah. He was also a much nicer person. Well, that's true. That's true. So that's why I don't think that's necessarily fair to, to put that on him. And JD, uh, listening uh. from the car, says, Cranky-ass, self-proclaimed comics god king Alan Moore. See, I mean, that's one thing about Watchmen is I, I think Watchmen's great, but it is not, in my opinion, the definitive comic that it was for so long made out to be, you know? I, you know what, in rereading that, I could see people, especially if you're going to it now, having that thought, but I always remember when the book came out, how mm-hmm. groundbreaking the structure of the story was for the moment that I mm-hmm. give, I give it, I still give it its due. Um, and as far as Alan Moore was concerned, I was a fan of the first run of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I did like, I like V for Vendetta. Um, what about Supreme? You know that what? Was cool. Supreme was just stuff. Supreme was just dumb. Super him just having dumb fun with Superman. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it, 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 I I have the collection. I still pull it out once every couple of years and reread it. So. I you know while I don't get the god the comic god thing about him uh, because he still is playing with you know characterizations of characters from before in all of those properties I I'd still give give him his due. Work. I agree with that. Yeah, you yeah know, uh, um, fables. I never. Uh, I it seemed like the kind of thing that I would love. And to be fair, I just jumped in at one point and and. Uh, I was not. I was not as into it as I would have liked to have been. But people love it. People say it's the greatest. You, would, you know. I think yeah. you would like, like it totally more. Totally up your alley. Yeah. What's that? That's like totally up your alley. I know. It is. That's Especially. The thing. Um, I, that's why I was trying to find one that I would like. Jack. It's not just something that I'm not going to like, you know, but something that I would like but just didn't get into. Yeah. Brandon, what were you saying? I was going to say uh, I forget what the Jack book was, but yeah. that seems like Brian would really like that one in particular. That was Jack well, of like Fables. I said, yeah. 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 Um, you know, and I heard cool things. And like I said, I didn't. I just jumped in at some point, you know. And it might have been later in the later in the run when it wasn't at its peak. So I'm not writing it off. Fables is my, my <coughs> favorite comic book series of all time. Really? Yes. Right. It's in my top three. If you yeah. say so. I read the I first... 
I read the first like thirty or so issues and really really liked it, but um, I just fell off and never went back. Uh, but I mean, I mean, if you guys want to like do like a book, club. slyly make that a, a a book club at some point. Let's do it. I think we should. But the only thing about you that guys is... read Lucifer. Go ahead, Brennan. Only thing about making a book club is I think the first arc is kind of weak. Yeah, so he, I was hard. just about to say the same thing, Brandon. Like, I would be down for making it a book club, but you definitely have to read the first two arcs. You, okay. I mean, the first the first arc is like a noir kind of murder mystery. It's not that yeah, bad. Yeah, but you know what? The vibe of the book changes so much because I okay. think, especially back when it was put out, they put it out there, you test the waters, see how it goes, try to make it a pretty much a complete story as much as possible, and then you see what the mm-hmm. demand is. And then when people are still with it, now Bill Willingham, the, the creator of it, has the license to really go afar with it. And that starts in the second arc. You really need to read the first two arcs. And they're not long. They're not long However, at all. Yeah. I mean, I would do that. You guys, I'll tell you what. You guys read Lucifer. I would even, uh, you know. Oh, wait. If this, is, if this is our, like, favor read? No, it's no, not. No, no, no. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. I'm saying I would. I'm gonna. Of, I'm gonna make it hard for you. I'd make you read like Power Rangers or some shit. Oh, I already like, did. I wouldn't Power just Rangers pick something some I think shit. you like. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that I'm was sorry. the whole point. It's something that you <laughs> think you like. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I, I think I think you would like like something, but not something that like is literally in your wheelhouse. Like Fables is is something oh. that people would be shocked you've never read. Guys, oh no, I meant because <laughs> he yeah. said it was his favorite comic of all time. <laughs> Like, oh, I well, do it for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Sure. No, uh, not to derail this, but when said we were keeping a tight ship, and I feel like we've completely gone away from the. Oh, question. we're off the rails. Well, that would be railing us, yeah. wouldn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> into the rails. First of all, I think that. <laughs> oh, when the captain's I, not here, the boys will play. <laughs> that is that is a perfect segue. Thank you for setting me up to talk about this week's comics. First up, <laughs> which I swear we've all read. Uh, first up, uh, we have Empire number six, which is the end of the Empire event. Endish. Um, uh, Diamond has this to say: Who will rule the Empire? There can be only one King of Space, and it's the last Liege standing. But as combat rages on, the clock ticks down to catastrophe. 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 Will the ultimate interstellar weapon fry planet Earth before after before after all sentient life? On the planet becomes wiped out. The Avengers and the Fantastic Four are tested as never before. Empire comes into a pulse-pounding finish. Written by Al Ewing, Dan Slott, with art by Valerie Sheedy. Valerio Sheedy. Um, what'd you guys think? Has pulse-pounding changed definitions since the last time I heard of it? Because that was not this for me. Ooh. Oh, he comes out the gate with shade. <laughs> I thought it was like... I thought this event started really strong mm-hmm. and then each subsequent issue i felt like kind of got less and less interesting and also i feel like it didn't focus like the things it should have focused on were very like minor like the hulkling stuff was interesting and i feel like they didn't really focus on it enough and like the thing with his grandmother like i feel like that reveal i i don't know if people know we're spoiling but we're spoiling it um i feel like that reveal should have been a bigger moment and it was like two pages or so and I just felt like, yeah, I felt like overall the event was, it felt unfocused, I guess. Yeah, I kind of agree with Brandon. Like, I felt like it started off with a, a whiz bang. Um, and then it just felt 
less and less significant as it went on. And I think that's because they tried to, even though it wasn't a huge event, they tried to event this thing and kind of have it happening in so many different books that I think if they had just kept it to just the Empire book, the, the, the meat of the story, and that was all, it could have been that much more enriching and that much more fulfilling a read. Artistically, it's beautiful. You know, there's some storytelling things that I found a little bit hard to to suss out in this in this issue particular because it's jumping it's jumping back and forth between three different locations and I don't think the locations are as defined in the background so sometimes you would lose sense of exactly where you were. Sometimes I read it as purposeful and sometimes I read it as just a a problem of the of the art. But in the end, I don't while I don't mind a story that sometimes starts big and then ends small, the way that this ends small, it really ends small in like the last couple of pages. You really didn't have the idea of who the the big antagonist was until you literally turned the page and yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, yeah, it, it just, it just fell flat for me. I wonder, sorry, I just, I wonder, um, Christopher Goodnight pointed out, is, is it just me or is this the fastest Marvel has ever finished a crossover event? And I wonder yeah, about well, that. That's, that's publishing. Yeah. Cause like that's, it came out like almost weekly. I wonder if that well, might have anything to do with it. It was the, done. Yeah. It was supposed yeah. to be completely finished originally in like June, but the global pandemic pushed it off. Yeah. Like. It was done. It was in the. It was only supposed to be monthly with a skip month, but because of, because of COVID, they just worked ahead, and then the first five issues did come out weekly. They were pushing out the tie-ins that were important at the same week and telling you like, read this first to read this first, yeah. because it was all. It wasn't coming out as measured as it was supposed to. I think. Which I think is great. Oh, the coming out quickly. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I'm I think disappointed it was that this one didn't come out two weeks ago. And just yeah, we weeks waited later. two weeks on this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a separate experience from you guys because I thought this was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the beginning of this event. Like the the lead in issues were kind of fun. Like the meet the scrolls and the Avengers Zero. I was like, oh, it's cool, it's cool. But the first issue, the first two issues of this were were boring as hell. I, I did not like it. Not here. But. Reading the tie-ins the, that I wanted to read, not the ones that I thought were necessary, but like the the Emperor Hulk Ling tie-in, the X Men tie-in books, some of the crossovers, I just started really falling forward. And then this spine book, just I, I really like it. Um, this was, it didn't feel like an earth-shattering event, earth-shattering, right? But it felt like a really solid mini that I think I might just go back and reread someday, like. A lot of these events just happen, and they're whatever. Mm-hmm. I think I might actually like collect this someday or read it, reread it. it was, this reminded me very much of War of the Realms. Solid as shit. Uh, the tie-ins were good, and no one's going to talk about it in five years. Yeah. See, I felt uh, tie-in-wise, <clears throat> I felt with this one, it, it, especially, it was like there were large parts of the story that I didn't see. And, like, why is Thor's lightning green? Mm. And I guess it's because... I didn't read that. I didn't read it either. He's talking about how he's more in tune with... Because Gaia is his mother in in Marvel cosmology. Yeah, in Marvel cosmology. Well, no, because... 
So I guess it's that. Like, the lightning is green because he's more in tune with Gaia, and it, it certainly does seem. But, and you get, like, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man <laughs> show up, you know, I mean, the Spider-Man, Wolverine, and all of them version of the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four show up, which <clears throat> I didn't keep up with, and I kind of feel like they just pop in, reads in that armor for, it's not really that big of a thing. He's right. in, oh. you know, Tony's armor. Yeah. That only ha- like that only happened in this book. That was that's a that's a yeah. pacing issue, not a tie-in issue. Yeah, um, but I uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was just that that aspect of it. I felt like this issue there was a lot of stuff that I didn't see, and it left me a little a little wanting. But uh, as it's as like a little non-event sort of thing, it was cool. Uh, Rob Patey said, events will always spiral into side stories. It makes money. What we have to ask is, do the core stories hold their own? Any divergence, then, is on you, the consumer. I think it holds on its own. I think, like, for me, this this six issues would have been easily just absorbed as a cute mini. Which was, which is what it was supposed to be. The, it was, for me, it was bolstered by some strong, um, side books. JD pointed out, um, he said, oh, the, his mom is Gaia stuff confused me. I think that was probably supposed to be explained in the Cancelled Empire Thor mini. I agree, because his uh, mom in Marvel is Freya. So his mom in Marvel said, Comics is Gaia, but in the movies it's Freya. And in Norse uh, mythology, I believe Well, but no, because well. in the Thor comics, it's Freya. Like, All here inside <laughs> the history of the Marvel Universe, <laughs> his, his mother is Gaia. Well, then yeah. who's Freya? Is she his stepmother? Well, she is. She's, she's the wife. woman that raised him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, it's the same way that, that Zeus is Wonder Woman's father. Yeah, well, but, but except the Gaia stuff is him. earlier right. than that. Like that's been the case for a while with with Thor. Hmm. Hang on, I'll find. I'll find the. I'm page. sure you will. I'm sure you have it dog-eared. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know that that's necessary. For for anyone that hasn't been paying attention for the last like year. Uh, <laughs> History of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade and ha- with art by Javier Rodriguez uh, with Elvira Lopez is one of the best collected editions that came out in 2019 or 2020. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's prestige size. It is literally the entirety of the Marvel Universe told in narrative form. You're welcome. Pick it up. <laughs> but JD's right. Like, that is not that... It's not a big part of Thor that that guy is his mom. Yeah. And it not being explained at all. <clears throat> it not being explained at all in this book is a little confusing. Rob Patey says that his mother is Renee Russo. And I agree. Yeah. Uh, on, on that note, <laughs> we should probably move on to the next book. What do we uh, got? Uh, we got We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number one, written by Al Ewing with art by Simone DeMeo. Uh, Diamond has this to say. Actually, Diamond had like four paragraphs of information to say, and I cut it down to one because you want people to read the book. <laughs> Captain Malik and his crew of the Vihan 2 harvest the only resources that matter from the giant corpses of alien gods found in the edge of human space. While other autopsy, autopsy ships race to salvage the meat, minerals, and metals that sustain the human race, Malik sees an opportunity to finally break free from this system. <laughs> who, uh, who, did, who had a chance to read this? I did read this. Brian, what's up? I actually um, wanted you to read this. I want to hear, I want to hear cool. your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I made it a point. And I do also really like the cover. This is a very cool cover um, with that kind of space uh, scroll kind of Hold thing. it up again. Uh, oh, all right. I got it. One moment. One moment. Here we are. 
it's this like towering uh, title amidst a background of like nebula or something like that with the ship small there, uh, reinforcing the whole large bodies of gods on the in the outer spaces here. The ship is pretty cool too. It's good ship design. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, ah, very good. You guys are back. <laughs> so, yeah, I liked it. It's this kind of not so much art, but art and uh, art and coloring style can make it seem a little. I don't know, uh, light or kind of more fun than you would think the the story is. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this style where they have. Large panels, just as you thought I was done holding up this screen here, and you've got just text written. Yeah. That's nice. It's a nice choice. Um, the story itself is, I mean, the large beings that they believe are gods for whatever reason out on space, you know, out on the edge of space, they've only ever found dead ones. Um, it could be interesting. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's not... It, it really all depends on where it goes. But it was a it was a fine intro to that idea. I l- absolutely 100% loved this comic book. Oh. This comic book felt like... <laughs> it felt Sorry. like an... Vindicated! <laughs> it felt like an animated... An, an animated anime movie come to life. It, 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 and specifically a Netflix anime movie which kind of like is anime but still kind of has some like american trappings to his artistry that's what this book felt like um it felt like um trying to take you know um tried and true concepts and do something different with them you know they're they're doing the autopsies of dead gods in space and like i thought that was just going to be some you know like like okay they don't mean literally do an autopsy no they took out a scalpel and started cutting at a first of all it was a literal god laying there dead in space and then they took out a scalpel and started cutting at the corner of their mouth i was like oh they're really doing this yeah i loved i loved the the idea of uh just a bunch of autopsy autopsy ships Getting to a location, scavenging, yeah. and claiming pieces of the body like it's the old west or like the the frontier, mm-hmm. where you literally just have to like run, race, chase, put your stake down, and if somebody doesn't like that, they might fight you for your claim. Exactly, like, it's just all right, of that they, stuff was so they, cool to me. They call it an autopsy, but really, it's a a mining. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It is it's yeah, dead yeah. wood in space. It's really what it was, um, mm. and, and that's why I I loved everything about this. I even liked the the quick little one-page intro to the captain as a kid and these people killed his parents and, you know, you've, you've got, like, this team of four and then you've kind of, like, got this this Winona Earp type of, like, uh, singular chick who's kind of, like, policing everybody. I mean, I just thought this, and I thought the artwork, I, I agree with what you said, uh, B, about how sometimes this type of art style can give a a lightness to a story that maybe is supposed to be, you know, deeper, you know what I mean? Feel like a little bit more grittier. Um, But to me, that was just the, the anime style of it coming out. And I really, I'm not, 
I'm not too into anime style, so that's just like a personal preference okay. kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had this conversation recently with some friends. I, I feel like I've completely missed the boat on anime and manga because mm. I, I don't really jive with it. I, yeah. you know, like I just missed the boat on it, and now it's catching up. I'm not really a consumer of that either, but I found this to be fantastic. Mm. I'm used to this artist because they did some stuff I've seen before. I was more enamored with the colors mm-hmm. because it's a very vibrant book, but... It took like the second or third kind of flip through for me to realize that it's because in this, the world that they set up, there are no natural light sources and it's Mm. all very neon hued from the inside of the ship Mm. and it's really eerie and creepy. This is a great damn book. I love this. Really? I loved it. Samuel David says that he he liked uh, this book. I think it was a great start. It was an intriguing idea. And JD, listening from home, says it was awesome. The art was vibrant and stylized. The story was tight and ended on a great setup. I, part of me thinks, too, like, because this is Al Ewing, um, he doesn't do much creator own stuff. He's like a in the bed with Marvel for a long time kind of guy. Part of me thinks that maybe this was like a canceled pitch about the Celestials. Mm. Huh. And then he That's just took it with him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, well, because I mean, immediately I thought, yeah, celestials. Like they're they're not gods. They're just gods in our perception of of how we define, you know, things we don't understand right. or mm-hmm. beings that are beyond our our comprehension. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I never really considered them gods in the no. religious or biblical no. sense. More so like these big fucking things that every every piece of them is is valuable. And I mm-hmm. mean, we find them when they're dead. We might as well use it. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. I wonder, uh, so it starts off with this mining ship, but it could go in a lot of different directions depending on like, well, I mean, what's the story with those gods or, you know, that kind of thing. It's an Ocean's Eleven heist now, mm. but multiple art, I mean, because at the end they kind of set up like, we're right. going to go find one, yeah, you right. know, like in a kind of a, a heist movie kind of way. Yeah. But you're right. Future arcs could be literally about this other, you know, civilization of beings that are huge that we deify mm-hmm. or these people who why used we to be see miners <laughs> before they yeah. got involved oh, yeah, in whatever too. they're up to now yeah yeah this this is cool this is a really good start i like mm. this a lot yeah i loved it this was this was really cool maybe one of my favorite reads this this week did you guys notice it started it with like book one chapter one mm-hmm. i wonder how many books he's got planned and you know what, what the scope of the story is I, I am a giant fan of creator-owned stuff that has an ending. Mm. So hopefully it's not 190 issues, maybe closer <laughs> to like 40 or 50. Yeah, that would be Which nice. would be great. Just like a nice chunk collection that you could just be like, you should read these 40 or 50 issues because it's spectacular. But uh, speaking of spectacular... Mm. Spider-Man? Uh... This is a good segue. Uh, Batman 98 by James Tinian IV uh, with art by Jorge Jimenez. Uh, Diamond has this to say. Batman is at his most vulnerable following a massive dose of an experimental new Joker toxin. With the Dark Knight haunted by demons and visions, it's up to Harley Quinn to protect him while he recovers because Punchline is on her way. This is the fifth, no, fourth chapter of the Joker War. Um, What did you guys think? It was fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. The Harley Quinn and Punchline stuff was, was good, but it was just background. 
the Alfred and Bruce Wayne, I am just of the mindset that I'm like, when is Alfred coming back? <laughs> and so all of these things, I'm like, uh, I guess he's dead now. Like this, uh, whatever. Uh, this scene was awesome where he's he regains yeah. himself and he's like, I am Batman and it's in the cape. Bat, the word Batman is written. Mm-hmm. That is yeah, the, that makes the book <laughs> by itself, in my opinion. So I this whole series shit since James Tinian has um, joined the book, <clears throat> I've had just kind of, like depending on his artist, it's just like that's fine. It feels like retread. It feels like something I've read like a thousand times before. Right. I wasn't really into it, but I kept sampling back and forth. But when I I found out about Jorge Jimenez doing the art for this whole arc. I'm in for Joker War. It's been fine. It's been fine. It's been fine. This issue was awesome. I absolutely loved the fever dream of Bruce Wayne's version of um, Alfred talking him down. I absolutely loved him, like, persevering through. He's been high the last three issues. Right, right. I loved him persevering through that kind of fever dream. And his response right out of it is that large panel of, I'm Batman. I really even liked Harley Quinn's fight with Punchline because it was like a lot of really good characterization between the two of them going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a great issue. I, like, I really don't have much to say other than I really dug it. I dug it a lot. I actually found myself, despite myself, liking the issue as well. Um, I liked Harley Quinn and Punchline. I, I, could, I could give a fuck about Punchline. Um, <laughs> And and Harley Quinn has grown on me because I, I liked her when Paul Dini created her. So she's grown on me and I, I'm used to her, her place in the comics now. I like the little commentary that Punchline gives her. Oh, you think you're hot shit now, you know, because you're believing your own hype. Because people have hyped you up so, so that you're almost like the number one chick in D.C. Um, yep. But uh, so I, I did enjoy that. What I, I especially liked speaking to the art was that their fight was visceral. You felt the punches. You felt the kicks. Without it being um, titillation, there was no, like, gratu- gratuity, no gratuitous, you know, imagery to their, to their um, figures in the fight. The, the Batman and Alfred stuff, while I thought it was cool, I thought this was yet again Batman having to be told lean on your family. How many times <laughs> has he been told to lean on your fucking family? Yeah. So that got, got a little <laughs> annoying. However, I liked the big um, the beginning scene, which was even though he's in a fever dream, he's kind of like dreaming of a scene that happened before when he first discovered that, oh, my batarangs don't have to just be, you know, like, 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 like darts or anything like that. I can, I can do many things. My whole suit can be a, a, a literally a utility belt. I, I kind of like, liked him putting voice to that, to that idea that is pretty much, you know, born true over the years. And then I liked at the end after he wakes up i like that batman does not have any problem with punchline because batman should not have any problem with punchline and even a high or coming down from a high batman should be able to take punchline out in just two seconds and i like that we don't see him take it out because that's how long it should take and i love him going for the battery 
to reset everything. I'm like, I, I ain't even mad at you. That's a little old school, little joke. That's like, it's kind of fly, kind of fly like, I like that's it. that shit's cute. But as soon as it becomes like a bat street luge, I'm out. <laughs> I'm never forgiving that. Like that belongs in the '66 show, and there it's cute. Here it's like, no, <laughs> no. On punchline, um, I realized this issue that I'm just gonna look at punchline as a Harley Quinn character. And that makes her yeah. way better for me. Where, like, I see her as a character for Harley to, like... As a character study for Harley. Like, when Harley in- interacts with her and how she's like, hmm. oh, you're who I used to be. And, like, how Harley has to interact with her. And she's like, well, I kind of want to punch you because you remind me of myself. But I also kind of want to hug you because you remind me of myself. Mm. Like, looking at it from that perspective, it makes it much... I, it makes her much um, easier for me to deal with adversely that scene could be taken as the writer trying to describe to us that she's explicitly not harley right so she wasn't she wasn't um weaponized and or or brainwashed like Mm. harley was she just she sought it out Mm. and radicalized herself Mm -hmm. like there was no active participant in turning her like harley had a uh, everyone read Harleen. That was great. Had like, had it done to her, she was a willing participant, but had it done to her was radicalized. This woman was like sought it out and was missing pieces to begin with. So it would be interesting to see if they decide to somehow try and, I don't know, make the presupposition, like supposing like Harley becomes a mentor of some sort? I want to Harley... Tries to get her out of it? No, I, I think her utility as a character also, if if that were to happen, might go away. Like, she lets Harley be the evolved Harley that is happening now, while still, she, like, she fills that role, so hopefully Harley, some future writer isn't like, ooh, what if Harley was yeah. bad again, you know? I Yeah, I think she's just going to be... I hope that she's yeah. just going to become Harley's Joker. And then yeah. we leave it at that. She's, She's a, just always a baddie. It's fine. Oh, you think Harley's Joker? That's interesting. I was thinking of her more as, like, somebody to be with the Joker so that Harley Quinn can... Like a, a sidekick I mean, of the, sorts, you know. It doesn't have Harley to be mutual. The, oh, true. I don't yeah. think those are mutually exclusive things. No, no, no. no like, no. Joker's permanent sidekick, but then also, like, a nemesis for Harley. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, anything uh, just extra to add? Cosign that JD cosigned with Brandon about punchline. Hmm. So it's the man crush. Uh, the next book we're going to talk about is one that I also wanted Brian to read. Yeah. So hopefully he did. I did. It's uh, Lonely Receiver Number One by Zach Thompson and Jen Hickman. I'm going to keep this up while I read. Katrin Vander, a lonely video producer, buys an artificial intelligence partner that's meant to bond for life. After ten years together, her holographic wife suddenly disconnects without a warning. The breakup drives Katrin to the point of near insanity. She's alone for the first time in years and reeling from a loss she can't comprehend. What did you guys think of this? It was interesting. It was... Right? Uh, so there was one part that really threw me, that it took me a little bit to figure out what was happening, because the it starts off in one, I'm assuming, one time period, the, the furthest forward time period, but then it goes back, and the one of the two main characters has just been broken up with, and then she builds or orders um, 
this, uh, whew, like a, a machine intelligence that will be her significant other. Then it jumps yep. forward, and I guess the, her having longer hair is supposed to show that passage of time, but I didn't get that. So I thought the woman who was the machine intelligence with shorter hair like she has in the beginning was her, and it, it took me a little while to like figure out what was happening. Um, yeah, so like the woman at the beginning that's fading away. Yeah. I actually don't know who that's supposed to be. Yet. She's fading away? Yeah, look at the last panel. You think that's her fading away? I do. I think that's her being like uploaded. Oh, like her hair streaming upwards, you mean? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a progression too. Yeah. Like in the other panels. Hmm. It starts to go up. And then starts to... Interesting. Like, be loaded up. So I think that there's more to that. Mm. But but you're right. Like, the first, the first, like, five pages of this book, I was grasping at who I'm... Who's narrating and who I'm watching. Because mm-hmm. they didn't jive right away. Mm-hmm. So you saw that, like, teaser for present or future. And then it shoots all the way back to... It shoots to her being sad and crying because she was broken up with. And her response to that is buying the new device yeah. to build a girlfriend. And then it skips forward to she's got long hair now and they've been together for yeah. X amount of time. And you start to see the seeds of of division breakup. So like what I found fascinating about this whole thing was it was a weird the the conceit was just, you know, dramatic sci fi. Mm-hmm. But despite all that, it was mainly about a toxic relationship between two women mm. and that was super fascinating mm. so like all the other stuff was was cool novel but the story itself was really difficult mm. in in a good way so i was i was very impressed I, uh, that's why I, I was hoping you guys would read this and, and share your thoughts also yeah the the idea of a piece of technology being always at our beck and call is not something that we really have to confront right now as a as a technological species but um if it became sentient then that would be all of a sudden a big problem without like without you knowing it necessarily before you know yeah. uh as it grew to to its own sentience um yeah there's there's a lot of questions about ownership in this mm-hmm. like if you gave birth to something does that mean you own it and at what point does it become self-sufficient without you? I mean, a parent and their children. Like it, This is just a really interesting right. book. As soon as it wants to be, I would assume is the safest answer. <laughs> and we're, and yeah. we're seeing when this sentient being wants to. I think we would need to have, right, as we for real develop AI that could be self-aware, it absolutely should be built in that it will let us know if it becomes self-aware and doesn't want to do what what we ask it to do, you know? Um, I think that's something that we need to think about. JD says that the book was very reminiscent of her, the film. Never never finished it. I never saw it. I wanted to, but didn't. Okay, here's the thing never. about this book. Okay. Here's the thing about this week's <laughs> book. What you two have just de- described sounds like an extremely interesting, fantastic uh. comic book that is probably <laughs> a literal 
uh, episode of Black Mirror put to, put <laughs> to the four issues. <laughs> no, it probably is that. However, when we get our books, we get little thumbnails of the covers. So I got the thumbnail of that cover. You see, I, no one knows exactly where I'm going. Oh, oh you baby. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. We had, look at it. This is how the sausage is made, ladies and gentlemen. We had, just keep, go, just keep going. We had this book, Lonely Receiver, in, in our, that we we're going to be reviewing. We had, we only find them when they're dead. We had Ink Blot. And we had Hellblazer Rise and Fall, right? Now, all of these comics, to me, have horrific type of, you know, <laughs> titles, right? I can't wait for you to get to Inkblot. <laughs> and then when you look at the little oh, thumbnail, God. they all looked a little like, you know, like Hellblazer I never read, but I know it was in the horror genre. So I'm like, oh, I don't know. We only find them when they're dead. It was like. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't ghosts, seem... obviously. Ghosts or zombies. Exactly, Go right. on. And then yeah. Inkblot was just this black image on the on the screen. I'm like, oh, this looks iffy. But I read Hellblazer. I opened up Inkblot. I read Inkblot. And I read We Only Find Them When They're Dead. I said, okay, three out of four of them, I got off good. I'm not going to chance it with the fourth one that the cover <laughs> looks like this woman's face is melting off of the screen. I'm not reading this book. I'm not. Now, I'll go back and read it now that I know. That. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I need to remember to do that. I need to remember to be like, hey, here's what I think we should talk about. Not a whore. Whore. Not a whore. Not a whore. Not a whore. Just like subcategorize everything yeah that's, that's a really good point like nail biter i mean that yeah. could be a, a book about anxiety could, yeah. we don't know like a private investigator i it mean going back to kieran gillen yeah. i mean die is about people playing a board game i mean it's literally about dice yeah one die yeah <laughs> i mean that one's kind of uh, you know so i mean it's yeah this is just a metaphor <laughs> this, this cover is only <laughs> metaphorical I, yeah, we don't have to. We don't have to. Like uh, Brandon, did you did you get a chance to read this? What did you think? Uh, which one? When we receive it? No. Yeah. No. I would suggest you give it a shot. Yeah, it's good. Grab it's it. interesting, yeah. and um, it's uh, it sets up an interesting thing. You know, so we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah. This is this this could be one of those books that is difficult to recommend, mm. but you're glad you read it because it's different. Like, there's something in this that you're not getting on the stands. In other books, so also too, I wanted to try an aftershock comic. I, we we never get a chance to really read aftershock or jump on something that just starts. Like I've read Baby Teeth, but that's pretty much it right. when it comes to aftershock. Yeah, I was going to say that um, to shout out that this is an aftershock comic book. You know, so people one know that we don't just do Marvel, Image, and DC, and then two, <laughs> there is some very innovative and cool things being yeah. done in the comic book scene right now um because uh we only find them when we're dead isn't that um is that boom, boom. yeah that's boom studio this is boom yeah so cool yeah, um well you know what let's talk about another book that's not one of the top two uh and that's called inkblot written by emma kubert with art by rusty glad actually 
it's not an art and writer duties. I think they both worked on both together. Mm-hmm. They said they so did. It's yeah, Emma Kubert and Rusty. They Glenn, yeah. uh, he went into it. Did you read the afterward? No. And this one, so they go into it. He says they do. You know what was once called the Marvel method that was very common. You know where she drew it, and I guess they both kind of had scripting duties, but I'm uh, not 100. I mean, not uh, uh, plotting duties. And she drew it, and then he scripted afterwards. Well, third-generation comic artist Emma Kubert partners on with up-and-coming creator Rusty Glad to deliver a high-fantasy epic. This new ongoing series follows a powerful sorceress attempting to correct her greatest mistake, the creation of a magical cat that can travel through time, space, and reality. The cat threatens to unravel the fabric of the universe, doesn't care, and just won't listen. I didn't read this before I read the book, but yeah. that's the whole book. Yeah, that's I like how you said high-fantasy there. High fantasy. I want that <laughs> I mean, to be the new way. So they hyphenated it? Oh. It should I just see. be high yeah, fantasy because yeah. it's a modifier. Yeah. But it's high <laughs> dash fantasy. So it's All like right. high fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't care for this. I thought it was boring as hell. Yeah, I thought the art was, was really great. I thought the story was especially boring, especially because I did read the description beforehand, and I was like, this is exactly what I read. Well, I'm going to be honest, like, this took me a while to read, Mm. because it was, it was so incredibly dry. Mm. Like, you open up the first page, and there's more, I mean, I like to read, I read prose, that's fine. Comic books is a different medium. There was five to six pages of tons of text boxes telling me a story that happened already. Yeah. Yeah, like, a show me, don't tell me. And honestly, I probably don't need to know the history of this world for five pages before just getting to the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I need you to do is get to the library. So this was very pedestrian. Yeah, and there was also a lot of exposition. Like, doesn't she have like, it's like uh, yeah, it's her brothers in charge of something? I think, and then her sisters in charge of something. And She's like, got forty-eight siblings, yeah. and all of them are in different worlds in charge yeah. of different things, doing their different stuff, yeah. and two go missing. So, like, you're info dumped hard, yeah. and tons and tons of yeah. information, and none of that and makes also, you makes you any more um, appreciate her character. It doesn't do anything no. to yeah. to you know bolster her character at all. Go ahead, B. It's it's reading the appendices before the story. It's, it's sorry, and also still it's kind of if not if not confusing, at least a little misleading of a way where there's all this exposition, and it talks about how like her older brother is king, and you know I mean they just look like they look like people from you know the the Middle Ages or so. So it takes you a second or two to wrap your head around the fact that the older brother is like a millennia old or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and and which is a a massive point. And there's a ton of explanation about what's happening. And it still is not it doesn't hit you with that fact to encapsulate that they're like the six oldest people in this realm or something. None of it sticks. Yeah. None of it sticks. Like after reading all of it and then. Her first thing of like, I've written all these books, every word of it for four thousand years. I'm like, right. wait, you're four thousand right. years old? Four thousand? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It was none of it. Like, it was like a lot of things at the wall, but none of it stuck. So every yeah. time I would move to the next like part of the book, I was like, what? I will say <laughs> though, okay, to go along with what Samuel David said, the cat is adorable. The cat's oh, super I mean, adorable. The cat is well done. I, yeah, and I. 
it's uh, it's a shadow. The cat is such it's adorable. But it has eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got eyes. Um, but the the now so after reading the the solicit, I don't want to read a story about a whimsical cat that doesn't care. Yeah. But could destroy all of space and time. Like I'm not that demographic. <laughs> If the whole crux of your book is based off of cat cliches, mm-hmm. I'm out. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the, the misadventures of this cat. Yeah. The, no. Yeah. I mean, you know what, though? Might have been in if you literally started with magical cat and craziness and then slowly revealed to me the expansiveness of this universe. Yeah. 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 That might have been a fun way to just hook me. It's but a common I, I was thing. not feeling this. It, it seems like right with this style of high fantasy, they do like high fantasy. They, they do this. Inter- high, yes, high fantasy. High fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, they do this like I this here's this whole world. This is what all of this world is about in the first three pages. Here's the story. Oh yeah, it, it's Look, like it's, a common way to do the, it. I don't like it that much. It's the equivalent of a kid showing you the long form of the math problem instead of just giving you the answer. Yeah. But look, I did all the work. Mm-hmm. Like, no, just show me the answer and then slowly show me that you did the work, not just front load me with your, your details. Like, and as we go to each world, which it clearly seems like we're going to do finding out that turn. information. Like if you didn't know that she was 4,000 years old at first and then it was revealed later, that could be a pretty cool reveal. A lot of this could have been really good. They tried. Yeah. I, like, I just feel like I'm dunking now. I didn't care for this. It's out there for somebody. Hopefully, yeah. all of the problems I have will probably be relieved by like this third or fourth issue. Mm. I'm just probably not going to stick around that long. Rob Patey says they're trying to ride the Baby Yoda train. I guess you know, huh. come up with an adorable character mm-hmm. of all about the eyes. Rob's, uh, Rob's trying to ride Baby Yoda. <laughs> So I don't want to come off like I'm talking. So all of those things I do think are true, but I did still enjoy reading this book. Like I had a I had a fun time. It was not too consequential, but I liked it. I enjoyed reading it, but I don't think I'll read the next one. Hmm. I you know what that's that's perfectly said. Like not too consequential. Yeah. Like if somebody put this in front of me, I would read it. Yeah. But if it's not in front of me, I wouldn't. Yeah. Seek it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I, Len, did you have anything to add? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get let's stick to the let's get back to the horror book that you did read, uh, Hellblazer: Rise and Fall Number One, written by Tom Taylor with art by Derek Robertson. Diamond has this to say: A billionaire falls out of the sky and is gruesomely skewered on a church spire. Bizarrely, angel wings are attached to his back. More to follow until Hallelujah! It's raining businessmen. Detective Aisha Bracari is stumped by this until she's visited by a childhood friend, occult investigator, John Constantine. How do these killings tie into the first death on John's hands? How does this evolve? He- how does this involve heaven and hell? Even if this is some kind of John's fault, will Constantine be happy to let a few more rich bastards fall from the sky like it's fit- like a vindictive Robin Hood? Only time will tell. Uh, Len, what did you think of this? I love this, I say I did. You're off the show. We're done. We're, you're done. <laughs> this was a um, what is it? Super prestige sized. Yeah. Yep. Issue. So that's like, isn't that so, like the original format for like the black label comic books? You know what? What's original anymore? That's true. So like the first, it all matters. The first handful, the first handful were supposed to be 
like only kind of this like super prestige style. But then it seemed like they switched some things to black label after the right, fact. Right. So there was a couple of stories that became like the three jokers is black label, however it's in normal size format because I think that was done after the fact. Same with um uh Day and, well, the the Batman one, Scott Snyder and Greg. Oh, Kubler. last I think. Last that, well, actually, Strange yeah. Adventures. Yeah, is Strange Adventures Black Label? It is, but it's it's not in a Black Label format. Right. It's just got the Black Label on it. Yeah. The label. E- either way, I don't know whether or not this story is canon to John Constantine as far as his origin, because um, I mean, I didn't I didn't know anything about his origin, so I enjoyed reading what ostensibly is his origin you know a young john constantine um i i've always i like tom tom taylor right he he wrote this right yep i like tom taylor i've always been a fan of Derek robertson for um artwork uh like expressiveness to his faces i thought the story was read kind of like a almost like an episode of Constantine, a nice little supernatural procedural type of vibe to it. Uh, I thought the art was dynamic. It was expressive. It was like in your face. Um, I thought it was funny. I thought it was uh, just a real, real fun comic book. It When I first picked it up and saw that it was 52 pages, I was like, ugh. <laughs> Oh God, not again! But those fifty-two pages just breezed on by, man. Um, it was well paced. I uh, enjoyed all of the characters that were introduced, which made me feel it that much more than when one of the characters was like, like, uh, really like killed in a horrific way on the screen. Um, I loved it. I, I, I really, and this made me. I I was a fan. I became a fan of the character Constantine from the show because I never really read the book. I will see him pop in there now and then in different stories, and it's like oh, he sounds like a cool character. But I still never felt moved to read Hellblazer. Then the Constantine character, the, the show came out. Loved that he moved over to Legends of Tomorrow. Thought that was a great place to keep the brother working because he deserved it. Um, then he started showing up in the DC animated universe. Like what they were doing with him there, and then I was like, "All right, Constantine is cool," and this just continued on the, on that ride. I I love this; it was fun. So I I think Constantine is one of those characters, uh, Constantine, Constantine, whatever. It's one of those characters that it wasn't like this before, but now he can be in every aspect of the universe. Mm-hmm. Like every version of him can exist in some way. Before he was clearly only Vertigo only a specific type of horror book, only a specific type of of tone and art style. But in the last five years or so, he's been showing up everywhere in, like, New 52, in, like, he has a DC proper book and, and also these, like, miniseries. Um, like, the animated movie is hard R, more Vertigo-ish, yet he's joking around in um, Legends of Tomorrow. So, like, he's become a much more... For better or worse, he's become a much more malleable property character. Mm-hmm. And I think this version of him, in this book specifically, is a mix of the two. Because the tone of the book is wants to be a 
Vertigo-ish book, but it's the characterization of the TV show, like the kind of more uh, tortured but jokey, right? And mm. f- like you know, red tie specific Constantine. So it's it's interesting. Uh, I really liked it. Um, I have, I forgot I forgot how I felt about Derek Robertson's art. Mm. I mean, mm. I really like it, but there's times when I it just it feels grotesque mm. not in a nasty grotesque like evs kind of way yeah i know His that's stuff what you mean. always just looks like musculature icky yeah but like that guy's diff- face there yeah it's yeah. it's very it's it's a very gross like there's a there's a part in the book when a, a guy gets shot in the face yeah but you see you don't see the bullet wound so much as like his the muscles in his face just contract and it's it's very grotesque and it's effective mm. um i just for the first time recently Started reading um, Transmetropolitan. Oh yeah, and where you got to start? <laughs> yeah, which which is much more um, the the lines aren't as heavy and it's a lot more detailed. And this is more like his art style than The Boys. Yeah, which I didn't like. So I'm trying to channel uh, Transmetropolitan Derek Robertson and not Boys Derek Robinson. And this is this is kind of in the middle of the two. I, I like this a lot. I don't know. I don't know if JD's in the chat, but I feel like because did anyone else is anyone reading the Size Barrier Run? Because I've seen a lot of comparisons. Uh, JD is, and he said the first thing he said to me after reading this was, uh, first of all, on the channel there is a thunder round of his review of this book, right? Um, uh, but then also the first thing he said was like, it's not as good as the Size Barrier book, mm-hmm. but it's pretty yeah. good. I feel like, like he, yeah. he was just happy with it. It's Speaking unfortunate of JD. that it came out around here. Uh, he said, uh, what was it, um, Watchmen and one other thing were his only Alan Moore, the only Alan Moore things that he liked, but didn't Alan Moore create John Constantine? Yeah, but he's yeah. a side character in Swamp Thing. Well, still. I mean, he's one of JD's favorite characters. Is Alan Moore one of the people who's met Constantine? Uh, Does no, no one else he's... know about this? So apparently a few what? writers who have written Constantine have claimed to have met him. Specifically, and I know for a fact at least Grant Morrison has. He was like, oh, I was at a bar, and John Constantine walked in, and he said hi, and then he left. And it's like, hmm, interesting. Is this, is this in, like, the... It's in the, like, Grant Morrison's little Grant... It's in the Grant Morrison way, yeah. But I don't know if... And I think no, I heard... no, I mean, like, as in I met the person that inspired the character, the characterization, no, or... that's what I Is thought. it like, oh... This this fictional character is actually real and traveling uh, cross dimensionally, and I met him in a bar. It's I mean, one. if there are a character, if there is somebody who can travel through dimensions to places where they are fictional, then theoretically we could meet them. Whether or not that has happened is a different question. That's a very large theoretical. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like theor- theoretically, I could be rich. If there's money in my account. Right. Well, I mean, in the infinitude of reality, if all things exist, that would be one of those things. What are you, right. Scott Snyder? Like all everything matters. Here's yeah, an event. This is classic. This is like Baruch Spinoza. Or okay. Uh, so, just real quick. Wait, what? Real quick. Alan Moore claims to have met his creation on two occasions. In 1993, he told Wizard Magazine, "One day I was in Westminster in London. This was after we had introduced the character, and I was sitting in a sandwich bar. All of a sudden, up the stairs came John Constantine. He was wearing a trench coat, a short cut. He looked no, he he didn't even look exactly like Sting. He looked exactly like John Constantine." He looked at me, stared, stared me straight in the eyes, smiled, nodded almost conspiratorially, and then just walked around the corner out of the other parts of the snack bar. So, yeah. Did he, I mean, do we know any of the context of that meeting? Like, 
How many mushrooms did Alan Moore eat beforehand? <laughs> yeah. That's what I always think when I bring it up. But I think it's a fun story. Rob Patey says those, those are, are the, the drugs, drugs branded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess I get like we. This is like a tacit. Everyone agrees this book was decent. It I was liked really it. good. It was yeah. fun. I yeah. enjoyed it as well. Not tacitly, outspokenly. <laughs> I thought it was I thought fantastic it was, in, in so much as, oh, my God, we're not freaking out and jumping in between the panels. Right. Like, holy shit. No. Setting things on fire because we're so excited. No. I'm, that's what I'm people also do, curious. Right? Yeah, that's what I do every time I'm excited about something. <laughs> Luckily, I'm a very calm person. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, I, I also don't know if, like, is there room in John Constantine's origin for this additional, like, origin story? Um, or this is, is this canon. just... That was, uh, the, or is this already in his origin story? I just don't know. You know, uh, but oh, yeah, I don't know. It was fun. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, J- uh, JD says it wasn't amazing, Constantine, but it's solid, Constantine. Um, and Rob Patey says that Black Label is trying to be the new Vertigo because Young Animal was too neutered. I think Young Animal was always supposed to be. Yeah. more excessive more all ages um vertigo anyway like um gerard way is a self-proclaimed child of vertigo so yeah that was always mm-hmm. the intention uh we have two more books to talk about really quick if you guys want to hit through them Let's thumbs up to move on let's go got? all right the first of the two is black widow number one written by kelly thompson with art by elena casagrande uh, Diamond has this to say, Natasha Romanoff has been a spy almost as long as she's been alive. And she's never stopped running, whether she's working, <laughs> whether she was working for the good guys or the bad. But <laughs> Natasha's world is about to be un- upended. Beyond San Francisco's Golden Gate lies a, mis- mystery, lies a mystery that only the Marvel Universe's greatest spy can solve. Don't miss this heart-breaking thrill ride of 2020. Not heart not pulse pounding, but heartbreaking. Huh. Black Widow number one. Uh, I thought this was fun as hell. So I've never really loved a Black Widow book. She's always been a. a she, to me, she's in line with like characters like the Punisher, um, uh, or Winter Soldier. Characters that are awesome as a part of a cast and great when they jump in and surprise you. But carrying their own book, I usually don't hold on very long. However, in the last year, I read. Mark Wade and Chris Somney's tight 12 issue Black Widow run and mm-hmm. it was fucking perfection. Mm-hmm. So, I came in with that baggage and this was still pretty dope. Like the art was fantastic. The story is something that I don't remember having like uh being a, a Black Widow story that's told before where she disappears and we find out where she was and it's kind of like, "What?" Even the cool little cliffhanger at the end as to what character is potentially behind it all. I was like, oh, I haven't seen him in a long time. That's kind of cool. I like this a lot. I would totally keep reading this. What would you guys think? Yeah, I don't think it's a story that I've read from the Black Widow before. I think we've read stories similar to this before. But usually that's, they take one of their bigger properties and, and assign it to them. So to assign it to a despite her cachet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Widow is still, first and foremost, in the comic books, a very ancillary character. Um, yeah. To assign it to her uh, was, you know, interesting. I haven't read it before. And I enjoyed it as well. I, en- I enjoyed the, the bigness of it, the smallness of it. Um, 
I enjoyed the artwork for the most part. I don't like their Captain America, but he's only in for one page. So oh, that yeah, that was going to be my biggest nitpick. Uh, this artist, Elena Casagrande, draws Captain America like like a twelve year old boy in cosplay. Yeah, yeah. I hated Complete it. Complete with a giant shield. star. I hated it. The giant star on the shield I hated too. It. Yeah, oh. I, it, it's the only thing that took me out of this entire book. It did. It took it exactly. It took me out of the book. Everything else about the book, I thought, was actually very well done. The the artwork, for the most part, despite that, was was great. She draws a, a great Black Widow, uh, Natasha. Oh, yeah. She draws a great Hawkeye. She even does a good Winter Soldier. So I I, I enjoyed all of that. Um, the, act, actually, outside of that Captain America thing, the only thing about this book I didn't like was the cover because I don't think the cover sells the book well. It's not a bad drawing, but it, I just don't think that it is. I think the cover's trying to do a little bit too much, but um, for the most part, I enjoyed this nice little nice little caper for uh, for Natasha. There, he looks he looks like a sad boy. Yeah. He looks like a sad little boy. Yeah, his costume looks weird. It looks like um, he's a like good boy. His, like, he's a sad stuff. little boy. He looks like cosplay. I don't know. It's it's there's a there is a there's a gravitas to Captain America. It's like not even not even just in art, just how he's written on the page and how people respond to him in the entirety of the Marvel universe. And that was not this dude. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 JD says this was off to a great start. Reminded me of. Long kiss, good night, and I could I could one hundred percent agree with that. I could definitely see. And long kiss, good night is a movie worth Thank revisiting. You. Check that out, ladies and gentlemen. Great book. Did you know I mean, in the beginning movie. of that movie? Did you see her as a as a spy, or did it start no. off with like I, I've been so long? That was a good movie though. Um, but, uh, and, it, it was in the trailers though, so like it wasn't. Well, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, she like catches a knife or something that's thrown in there, right? Right. In the trailer, I mean, they, and you, then it shows her being a spy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's what spies do. No? They catch knives that are thrown. They at catch them. knives. Yeah, uh, you get a little of this like Nick Darrington kind of looking. And we were just talking the uh, last week or the week before about uh, the line work showing momentum, which yeah. uh, I, I thought that was good. the The art style is great. I was bored by this book. Like, mm. I mean, so I. Like you said, Noel, I, you know, you never really follow Black Widow or, or Punisher or whatever. But for me, when they show up in a book, I'm like, eh, these non-powered, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> like, uh... Yeah. Uh, and I did, nothing really grabbed me about it. The art I thought was good. To Len's point, like, yeah, that this art should have been on the cover. I think would have been a better selling point for the book. Because the art is, is probably the best part. Um... Yeah, like, I don't know, Natasha's in some spy intrigue, she's met whatever, and they gotta find her. It just, I was like, well, it, Mom, whatever oh, happens, I, I happens. Think she's a, <laughs> I think she's a victim. I oh, think no, she I think she is. she is. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, yeah. I agree. But she's involved in some spy intrigue, you know? Which is her whole deal, and it's not that she shouldn't be involved in spy intrigue. I just wasn't interested. I, is this an ongoing? I hope not. I really hope not, um, because to your point, Black Widow works well in small doses. Like mm. the Chris, the the the, the Chris Samney book, twelve issues, tight in out done. It's so good. This, this should be like about six something. To be honest, to to Brian's point, I think that while I wasn't bored, 
I definitely think that this could have been this would be great as three maybe 30 to 40 page books because I think you could have had a little bit more of the story to kind of like really sink the hook into you to keep going. I'm there because of the art and I'm, you know, you know, quasi interested in Natasha. Um, but I think a little bit more story may have been able to hook uh, um, more people because the action des definitely does die down after the opening James Bond moment. Then the action kind of does die down for the rest of the book. Yeah, um, it's funny you mention that because, like, the next book we're going to talk about, the last book we're going to talk about, actually did kind of go with that format, the idea of a mini but all larger issues. So it's it gives a little bit more, and it's a little bit more of, like, a OGN kind of feel, which I would probably – I probably would have bought this as that, mm -hmm. like, a little, bit, a little bit meatier of a story as opposed to dulled out into issues. With that said, though, I did not get the feeling that this was – Unor inorganically chopped up to issues. Yeah, me neither. Like yeah, I do sure. for some other books. Yeah, like I think they conceived this as a as a an ongoing. So I guess we'll just see. But I, I would totally like maybe pick up the first trade, read the whole thing, kind of thing, as opposed to follow monthly. All right. Um, the last book we're going to talk about is Marvel Zombies Resurrection Number One. Oh, that's the other book I did. Written. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Same. Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Leonard Kirk. Marvel Zombies Rise Again. When the corpse of Galactus reaches planet Earth carrying a cannibalistic virus, Spider-Man and the ragtag group of heroes struggle to save survivors and uncover the truth. Now, this is not a sequel of the Marvel Zombies stuff that occurred before, which was five different miniseries. Uh, two written by Robert Kirkman. The rest were written by Fred Van Lente with various artists. Actually, Leonard Kirk, I think, was the artist for uh, everything after Sean Phillips left. Um, this is not a sequel whatsoever. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, because this is the kind of start of a new pandemic in a weird in a weird version of the Marvel Universe, which is Galactus showing up hollowed out with a weird virus. And what made this different and cool, or at least fun for me, was uh, there was a one-shot a couple months ago called Marvel Zombies Return, The Return, which was... The precursor to this of a bunch of heroes go into space to see Galactus like floating out in the distance and what is that and then zombies attack. I love the idea of this being hive mind zombies. So it's more of like almost a, a computer virus or eyes everywhere kind of a thing as opposed to just brain eating zombies. And to me this does what the original Marvel zombies didn't do which was keep Parker alive. Mm. for the actual plot mm -hmm. oh bye brandon have a good day um so is this not related uh, at all to the other marvel no. zombies like in no way it's just called the same thing yeah oh interesting okay why would they do that yeah. because they're just relaunching a yeah. brand mm -hmm. right it's reboot yeah, i guess i'll tell you though i thought that it was i i thought that i was coming in like way into something that i never read before and mm -hmm. for any new reader that they're trying to attract it's uh it's an interesting strategy. Well, I mean, yeah. how so? Well, just because I think it, well, maybe not, but I think it would have made sense if they were like, hey, guys, this has nothing to do with any of the other Marvel Zombies stuff. You should, if you're interested in Marvel Zombies I, but don't want to read the other stuff, come in. So, the you know what, the, the um, 
that might have been that might have been a problem with the fact that we didn't talk about the one shot six months ago. Oh yeah, the I start mean, of this. Okay, yeah, because that was the that was the initial the uh, the reboot. The, okay. The, oh my god, here's a new status quo. This is just a continuation of that, but it is still a first issue. So I one. Uh, it was. I got you guys to read something you never would. Um, two, it was better than it needed to be, and it was written by the gentleman that wrote uh, that is writing that Last God series that both you and I, Brian, really liked. Mm. So I was like, oh, you know what? We should see if yeah. this guy also can do like the dumb stuff, yeah. not just the literative stuff. <laughs> and then um, it was just it was successful. I liked it. It was dumb. Yeah. And honestly, too, I've I've wanting to go back and read Marvel Zombies for Halloween. Thought it would be fun. Hmm. So um, this just hit me in the sweet spot. I wanted to hear what you guys thought. I, I like that you're, you. It was successful. It was dumb. That's your, <laughs> <laughs> that's the benchmark. I mean, when you when superheroes turn into zombies as your general conceit, hmm. it's stupid. True. So you just make it fun while it's stupid. How about Cyclops's uh, Cyclops's beam gun that Ford yeah. is using there? Forge turned mutant bodies into weapons for this little party. So the cannon with his head. I forget. I think it. I think it might be um, either Dazzler or yeah. It's a gun with <laughs> with Scott Summers' face. So he's actually like using the blast for the undead. Yeah. Scott Summers. I guess the eyes are what would. It, when I read that, I was like, Is that how Scott's powers work? Comic book lore-wise? Sure, I mean, I guess so, but I would have thought it was more of a whole body thing. (laughs) No, he's just using his head as the battery for a weapon. The same with um, the gun that was just a, like, the the muzzle of it was just a finger. I presume that's either um, uh, Dazzler (laughs) or, um, what's the the Boom Boom? Where she can actually just, like... I think her uh, name's Boom Boom. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a finger gun that actually shoots like little bombs. Finger guns. I mean, this is this I missed that one. Yeah. Weird. It's weird, dumb hmm. imagination, and I I just appreciate the shit out of it. They raise a, a decent point too. The zombies, they're like, like once you're a zombie, it seems kind of okay. You know, you're you're still a bit conscious. You're in a hive mind, which may have pluses or minuses. I don't know, but it's like once people get eaten, they're like pretty stress-free it was really just the getting eaten part that was that was doing it for people um but i agree with you know having <clears throat> having peter parker as the as the viewpoint character is a as an excellent choice yeah in the in the original in the original marvel zombies kirkman killed him immediately and had mm-hmm. him eat aunt may which was an incredibly disturbing Indeed. memorable scene but Ugh. i'm glad we didn't go this time yeah with that. Yeah, and I'm, the, the whole disturbing nature is one. This is one I would never choose to pick up on my own. None of the zombie stuff is. But it was a well-done story. Ah, so I look forward to being the only one to read it going on, going forward. Excellent. Yes. Well, J.D. likes horror. Maybe he'll read it. I mean, I'm mm. sure he read this, but I'm, I honestly, too, like as a recommendation, you got to be real specific for this kind of book. Like, yeah. I would yeah. not... It's not even going to be at the top of my stack. I would not <laughs> just be like, guys... <laughs> Put everything aside. Make sure you read Marvel Zombies Resurrection number two. It's amazing. Like, this is a really specific book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad y'all liked it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, um, before we finish talking, well, we are finished talking about the book, so deal with it. But before we move on to the next segment of the show, Brian, is there yeah. any stuff you would like to say? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm constantly asking JD this question, and I don't pay a lot of attention to the answer, but uh, he is at uh, patreon.com uh, backslash Johnny, Johnny Destructo's... Just Johnny no, just Destructo. Johnny, Destructo. Johnny Destructo. Destructo. All right. Yeah. You can also find uh, him <laughs> on Venmo. If, Anybody else have more information on this one? If you like what we do here, um, if you like what we do here every Sunday morning at 1030 where we, we record live and, and talk about comics and stuff, be sure to like and subscribe to any channel that you're on right now, whether that be Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. Um, hit us with a like, comment, participate. We'll leave all the links down below. You can also contribute to a patreon or i think it's coffee which is a tip mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah which just helps us keep the light on lights on and pay for the yeah. programs to stream and get microphones and, and stuff the venmo part was not a joke like that is another thing that he's been he's been uh saying we'll leave it down here yeah it's Sweet. fine look if you guys like what we're doing and you have fun with us either contribute during or after it's fine. And, and please Thank comment because I feel like sometimes people assume that after the live show you can't comment anymore but like we still read oh, the yeah. comments so people should definitely comment yeah alright I mean that, that's it for the books that's this for the books good. now let's get to talking ladies and gentlemen let's get to the gutter talk portion of the show gutter talk gutter talk where we talk about all the stuff that happens in the white spaces of the comic book page in and around the world of pop culture ladies and gentlemen this segment is brought to you by history <laughs> of the marvel universe <laughs> but not in the Marvel's sense that they have donated edition. to the patreon <laughs> so this is this is the uh direct market variant of the cover by <laughs> artist javier rodriguez um it's treasury size edition i don't know if you saw that but uh it's a pretty mm. good book i think you guys should all jump in it's a great book yeah, you should i've never heard of it before no you should talk about it more well, it's six issues written by Mark Wade with our. So we're Javier going to Rodriguez get into um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> JD JD only has room for hero complex plugs, not for plugs for anything else. Okay, so purchase it at Johnny Destructor's Hero Complex, <laughs> located in. Yeah. Nicely oh, yeah. done. Nicely done. Yes, he can order things for you. If they are comic related. Most certainly. Go to Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Maniunk. Open now. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So this is where we talk about all the things that are happening in and around the world of pop culture. A couple of topics that we wanted to speak about. And I'm going to let Brandon start us off because he always has, you know, strong viewpoints about how we should start off. What is the first topic you would like to put on the table? Brandon, Go. I think we should do the, the good news. We'll start with the good news, and then, yeah, we'll go progressively worse, in my opinion. So we'll start with the good news that, um, that Noel has, because I don't remember the exact quote. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the good news about hiring at DC is what I'm talking about. Uh, I'll find, you know what, keep vamping, I'll pull it up. So at DC, I don't know if you know, comic book company, they, they make a little-known <laughs> character named Batman. And Superman. Keep going. Um, Keep going. You know what? A, 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 a different version of this vamping would be how important it would be to have, yeah. well, I mean, just diversity and, and right. inclusion. I can do that if you want. Go on. Yeah, do that, do that kind of vamping. <laughs> I'm going to keep looking. So um, DC has recently hired some new people in, their, in the higher-ups of DC. I'm not exactly sure about positions. 
but we wanted to talk about how good it is that comics in general are becoming more diverse. Um, like the people who are not just in the comics, but the people who are making the comics are becoming more diverse. And of course, that will hopefully lead to better representation in the books. Mm-hmm. And that's good for everyone. And so we just wanted to, I guess, applaud DC for their newest hire, whose name I forget also right Also IDW. All right, so I got it. I got it. <laughs> so uh, for the first time in history, two black people are headlining uh, two, uh, two of the top five comic publishers. So um, in, what do we got here? IDW Publishing has hired Nashi Marsham, Nachi Marsham as its new publisher taking primary responsibility for the line. Likewise, DC Comics has also created a new position for Daniel Cherry, a veteran of the esports world, um, to report to Pamela Lifford, who he's essentially replacing Dan DiDio. He's going to be doing a lot of the day-to-day publishing that Jim Lee doesn't have to do to focus on the larger brand. So you've got these two positions, uh, very high-level public uh, uh, editors and publishers in the large corporations, and they're people of color. But to Brandon's point, at DC explicitly, um, before that, what what like preceded this, Jim Lee, obviously a person of color at the highest level of DC publishing, but then also they just hired uh, the all the entire line is being controlled by two women now. Right, one right. who comes right. from the graphic novel world or young the YA world, and one that has been promoted from the ranks of publishing uh, from being in the industry for decades. So you've got like so, pure comics, pure graphic novels, both women reporting to a two people of color, and it's like yeah, diversity behind the scenes can provide us better stories and and more representation. So it's good yeah. news. Is the new DC hire is that a creative position or like a business position which or both of them a little bit of both okay Uh, yeah so like the main creative comes from the two or like it's decided by the two women and then they go up to daniel cherry who reports to pamela littleford and um jim lee yeah oh i thought he was above jim lee no he's kind of like Right here with Jim Lee. Jim Lee's here. Okay. He's like right here. You're right. And the, the women that you speak of, DC Editorial, will be headed up by Marie Javins, currently executive editor of Global Publishing Initiatives, and Michelle Wells, executive editor of DC uh, Children's Young Adult um, line. Um, so those are the two women who basically are... are it's it's almost like a four-headed monster now with all with all of them for the most part, um, and I think it's smart. I think it, while it, while it's proving challenging for some comic book stores and for some comic book buyers, the changes that DC has been make, making behind the scenes. Um, editorially and business-wise, you know, as far as like their distribution and everything like that, are, are changes that are geared to accepting where the world of the of comic books is moving into in the 21st century and beyond. And while they, of course, they're going to have some bumps in the road along the way. I think these are more thoughtful changes 
um, as opposed to something that really slapdash, uh, you know, just like, oh, to throw at the wall to see what sticks. I think they're actually being very mm-hmm. strategic about what they're doing. And, 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 and I applaud it. I know that for a fact that um, there are some comic book stores right now who are trying to figure out exactly how they want to work with DC moving forward. And that is challenging for them because it, it, it does go against the grain as the way the, the business model that they've been built up on. But I think once they find that rhythm, they will realize that this it, this is just this is the future. This is the future of the comic book business. Learn it. Yeah, love I, it, accept it. On the so two things. Um, Samuel David in the chat put uh, wasn't Axel Alonso a person of color? First of all, I'm not sure, but this isn't a first person of color kind of story. This is a multiple people of color in higher echelons of, and, and the frequency is the story, not the got their first kind of aspect of it it's the fact that there are multiple now there never really was at any time in history more than just like one person of color at a higher creativity or creative or publishing position right right it was usually just like one Brandon um, actually wasn't it wasn't christopher priest the first black editor in like 1979 or something like that i had read that like yeah he was an editor for marvel comics which is like their first black editor mm-hmm in 1979 of all time. Like, and this has also, been incredibly slow progress. Yeah, we should also reiterate, we're specifically talking about, like, big publishers. Because I know people are probably going to bring up Milestone and things like that. That was an imprint, though. Yeah, like, that was oh, an yeah. imprint at... at yeah, it, it, what they, they were in charge of their small corner right. of stories. They did not have um, cancel and, and re-up kind of... Power. Powers, yeah. right? Right, you're right. Um, but... but then the the other thing, uh, well, I forgot my second point. So <laughs> carry on. Uh, Brandon had brought up. We were having a discussion about a particular book, I think, and I don't remember what it was, but that uh, having the people uh, behind the scenes with different perspectives allows for new kinds of stories to to be introduced. Right, like things that that you don't see from a particular perspective are still interesting to a wide range of those perspectives, right? Like the, the, well, the matrix was done as it turns out as a trans allegory. Are you sure you're not, you're not confusing Brandon and me because that was the kind of point I was trying to make with, um, the current teenage mutant Ninja turtles stories. I think, I think, um, yes, I am. And but Brandon did say like having people behind the scenes is, yeah, I brought yeah. up a, few, yeah. a little... I think the last time I was on, or maybe the time before that, I was talking about how uh, You Brought Me the Ocean is written by a gay yeah. man. Mm. That was, I think that's what Brian's thinking of. Mm. And how yeah, it, because of the... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying, like, yeah, because he's getting, like, writing the book, he was able to include things that are more um, realistic to the experience of a gay kid. So, yeah. That was yeah, well, and and like to my point too, like the the stupid <laughs> the stupid turtles book <laughs> is incredibly emotional because it's about people not feeling or people going through incredible changes and and change like mutating into like these animal half animals and it, the book is about no longer being you in your body mm. and it's written by a trans woman. Mm. Yeah. So there's Which a lot a, of yeah. There's a lot of emo- like that's a clear metaphor between the two experiences that she's able to imbue into this very straightforward story about being turned into a monster or or something else and then finding the beauty in that because the whole the whole first arc ends with them 
being able to go to their first live concert because everyone looks like them now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very emotional book and it's fantastic. But that kind of perspective would not exist if the writer did not have that to share, you know? Yeah, and I right. think that I think that what this is is just the continuing um, uh, 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 change overall in the whole comic book landscape. For the long time, comic books were, um, you know, let, let's face it, the the land of the white man giant. This is where they called home, you know. Um, Whereas in your world of, I think one of the reasons why anime became the force that it is in pop culture now is that slowly people started realizing that the storytelling there was a little bit more deeper, wasn't playing down to the audience. Um, It was going into more interesting and thoughtful um, avenues and, and, and perspectives in this type of story that it was telling and that anime perspective was then dovetailing into american animation which you mm-hmm. saw in with you know avatar legend of Korra, steven universe um kiba and the wonder beasts and and so many other things that are now you know populating the the streaming world is um and it is comic books in order to continue in their relevance you can't just keep building off of the nostalgia of what happened in the past marvel cinematic universe became the reason the 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 big thing that it was because it's the first time like oh my god our comic books are coming to life well now it's time for our comic books they've come to life now it's time for them to grow up and And catch up and catch up with the world Let's not forget also that like the comics, a lot of the major archetypes were created in either the run-up to or a little bit after World War II mm-hmm. by Jewish people who were a marginalized group at that time. You know, so again, an outside the mainstream perspective produces something that's interesting to the mainstream. You know, it, it can tap into these themes that are common to humanity but are just maybe more recognized by people who aren't um, in the, the caprice seat of society. Yeah, I, I think Brandon put it perfectly. It's just like now it's time for it to represent life as opposed to just um, honor the past. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it could do both. It could honor the past but still represent how life is now, which is what good art does. Yeah, so so well done, DC Comics. That's what I said. And somebody that did point a- out that his initials, the the I forget his name already, Daniel Cherry. Daniel, Daniel Cherry. Cherry, yeah. DC. DC. Oh, <laughs> he's he's not a real person now. No, I. Uh, you know what? I remember the other thing that I was I was gonna say before, like DC, good job, but it's it's still like the first year of their. Um, distribution experiment and I'm sure JD can share a bunch of stories yeah. on how unsmooth it's been and mm. very very frustrating because I feel like they, they're they not prepared to do it I mean a year from now they'll probably work out the kinks and it'll be great but it's still a struggle and it's still pretty fucking annoying for a Only lot of thing retailers I can think about that is that was before these people I think when Didio left like that kind of there was like they were unseated like they were all kind of you know Nebulous, and I think now that they have like a spe- like specific people in power, I think I hope that everything's going to run a little smoother now. 
That's my I mean, hope. There, none of those people have anything to do with. Well, I mean, that's not true. None of those people have any kind of like power to make the distribution model better mm. because mm. it's an inefficiency problem. Yeah, like they can over time, but this is not going to be a snap your fingers now oh, DCB yeah. or now UCS and Lunar know exactly what they're doing. Like, no, it's still going to be like a year of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a frustrating customer service and mismanaged shipments and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, fingers crossed. Does Daniel Cherry also does he have any sort of genre experience or even professed E-sports, love for games. it? He said. Oh, um, he said in the article that like he, he really likes comics and like he grew up reading them like with his father or something like that. So. Okay. Yeah, who knows I mean, how much what that actually means, though. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I hope it's very good. Yeah. What's our next story that we wish to go into? Um, we started high, and now we're going low. Brandon, where did you want to go next? I was thinking we could stick with DC, and uh, we were going to talk about um, Ray Fisher being in the news. Yeah. Ray Fisher, who was cyborg in the Justice League uh, movie that Zack Snyder, Joss Wheaton, Frankenstein of a film. Uh, Ray Fisher has in the years since, he's been kind of like um, stirring the pot a little bit, saying that the, the, uh, there was some behavior and um, malfeasance, if you will, that was done on the set of Justice League that he was, did not appreciate. And he's been staring the pot. He's been um, calling it out. Uh, it, it seems like he, what has been happening overall in the world with there being uh, more of a, an appreciation for the black lives that matter. It seems like he was like, kind of like almost using that as a background upon which to say and yeah justice league was like you know when we were filming that movie was not cool and they didn't do my character right and all this other stuff that was happening so which led warner media uh who is the parent of dc comics and dc entertainment and and the creators of that film property to launch an investigation into these allegations that Ray Fisher was putting on the table. He's like, hey, we, we take what you're saying seriously. Let's look into it. Matter of fact, let's start with Ray. Can we have a sit down with you and so we can find out exactly what you are talking about? Because a lot of his allegations have been more and more, more or less nebulous, kind of like putting it out there as almost if he didn't want to tell the story until he could tell it to the proper authorities. So the proper authorities came a-knocking, and Ray Fisher apparently was hiding underneath his bed and has not answered the call. So It's, he- it's, it's a little bit more than that, too. Um, sorry, Brandon. The, like, you're skipping steps that make him look even more kind of, like, evasive. So it started with um, Hamada, the head of DC Film, who wasn't even in the job, during all of this, during Justice League, right. sit, like the, he was asked to sit down with with Ray to or call. Nobody sits down in the same room anymore. Um, to call him and, and talk to him about this and assure him that they'll start an investigation. So they talk about it. Um, Ray gives him his version of the story, which to Hamada, uh, his retelling of it was that it boiled down to creative differences. 
like the director and the the director on the day has the final say and if you didn't like what was happening then maybe maybe it was uh, an aggressive form of that however we take all this seriously so we're going to start an investigation ray didn't like that and he said hey I refuse unless it's a third-party investigator and not one of the ones that you have in-house. Mm-hmm. They bickered about that a little bit. Warner relented and was like, okay, it'll be a third-party investigator, somebody that's not related to us or you, to investigate the claims of abuse that happened on set. Um, in the meantime, Ray uh, Cyborg mentioned that they had this meeting and the head of DC Film told him to ease up on Jeff Johns. Mm. Like you could throw John Berg under the bus and you could throw Joss Whedon under the bus, but ease up on Jeff Johns. And he said he will not like defiantly was just like, I will not. So now DC like based off of that claim, DC released an official statement saying we did have this meeting. We did offer investigations. We did not say that whatsoever. And he has not like we have a third party investigator or, or no, we found out, we could not find any credibility of his claims originally. However, we still started an investigation with a third party, and he's not returning their calls. So, he and then they just dropped the mic and walked off. He has responded to that. He said that he got off the line with the investigator, and he had to end the interview early before going into detail with him because he had another person on the line as a witness, which um, Fisher wasn't made aware of before the call, and so he wanted to have someone else on the call with him as well. And he said he's claiming that's why he wanted to get off is because he wanted to make sure that he was he was secure. Like if DC was going to bring a, an extra person in as a witness, he wanted to have someone else. That's right. what he says. And he also says like he always said that he would want to vet the investigator before disclosing anything. So he's claiming that this isn't anything that this is just Warner Bros. trying to discredit him. You get to choose your you get to choose your investigator. That's what he wants. Wait, uh, then yeah, also too, the whole, like the point of a third party is that you are neither side is really right. invested yeah. in that person. And I I do find it difficult to believe that during uh, like a super lawyer vetted investigation or, or like a de- uh, deposition, they didn't let him know that there's another person on the line. Also, why didn't and he have a lawyer to begin with? Yeah. It, to me, some of this sounds like there could easily be stuff that Joss Whedon did that was shitty to do on set, you know? But also, it that being true, it kind of also sounds like Ray Fisher, who was not known at all before this movie, right? Certainly not um, widely he a, known. Right. He was a theater, he's a theater actor, right? Okay. And so like this maybe, was his first big thing. Yeah, so it's kind of like, all right, so he comes in and... I, I understand being upset that you were one of the focuses of the movie and then that changes. I would not like that either, but it's not necessarily um, unwarranted. Like, obviously the movie didn't turn out that great, but Joss Whedon may have just been like, I don't, I want to go in a different direction, but also could have been a jerk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the way that, like, <laughs> Jeff Johns, the the talk from Jeff Johns kind of seemed like, look, man, either either you're in the movie or you're not. This is what the movie's going to be. And not necessarily uh, anything like an actionable thing. I don't know. It's hard to say exactly what what happened. 
<laughs> Rob Petey said uh, no character in that movie had focus. That's very true. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I don't know. It's just the mo- um, he has. So Ray Fisher, all of this too apparently started when DC reached out to him like two years ago at this point about being in the Flashpoint movie when it was still mm-hmm. under a different like two two different directors. Um, and then that's where I kind of all like led and stemmed in his his difficulty with that process. Mm-hmm. Um, he has. It's we it, it like I don't want to I don't want to potentially victim blame so please stop me if it starts to sound like that but like just from a ten thousand foot view of this it seems as though he's made more of a splash as a personality with this incendiary stuff than as the guy who played cyborg true and that's a to- that's an intoxicating thing right I'm, like and it wasn't it didn't just start a couple weeks ago this has been like two years worth of comic-con visits and appearances kind of um doing the whole snyder cut thing and the whole um fuck joss whedon and blah 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 and then just recently it was revealed to be maybe more pernicious or maybe more terrible or maybe abusive so it's just the pattern is like a pattern of escalation more than it is speaking out it seems from the top so it's like this is weird i don't know who to believe because your main witness has been shown as difficult or evasive and then what so you're supposed to trust a large corporation who are really only ever in it for themselves right like who do i believe well i don't know i I but i can see it going either way i i tend to believe both of them in that Ray Fisher believes he may have been treated badly on the set and thinking that he's being treated badly on the set may also color some of the other things he sees going on the set because he's looking at it through that lens of they're jerking me over. Oh, so probably what they're doing over there to that person, they're probably jerking them over too. And that actually may not be the case. I don't know. Um, and Warner Media, it's easy to believe that, you know, they've got their thumb up their ass and don't know what they're doing because so many, so many times they've had their thumb up their ass and not knowing what they're doing. <laughs> so it's easy for me to believe that. But the bigger narrative, unfortunately, I have to say, is that I believe that Ray Fisher is a guy who, no matter what claim of fame he had that got him this role there's no denying that this was going to be the biggest thing mm-hmm. on his plate yeah they sign him up knowing that he's going to make a cameo in one movie then be a big part of another movie and it's supposed to lead into a solo movie and him locking on feeling like you know oh my god the next 10 years of my life are set and then slowly watching that totally disintegrate and then for whatever reason because i can't speak to the man's talent or anything like that because to be honest he didn't show have a lot to show in the what we saw he's unable to to turn that role for whatever say of it what you will in justice league into something else we literally, at least as far as I know, have not seen him 
in front of the camera in anything else. If he, if we have, it was a blink and you missed him because I totally missed him. He has literally it's, not done anything else, you know. So you're watching that, and then you're and then you're watching my whole world that was set up falling apart. You're also watching that this other co-star who maybe had a slightly bigger profile than me and Ezra Miller them seeming to bend over backwards to still kind of make him a part of the DC universe that they're still moving forward with his movie they found a way to dovetail shove him into the CW to keep him kind of relevant hey they why couldn't I have shown up on Black Lightning I'm a I'm, you know why couldn't y'all do something with me y'all got me signed do something with me slowly watching that and then just being a little the sour grapes just get more sour and sour with this guy and he don't know which which way to go unfortunately that's the narrative i i'm seeing being played out in front of us rob is there real quick no rob patey said it's sadly about money if there's cash to be had and embracing a narrative they will if there's not they won't it's numbers not personal so i like, have you ever been in a in a fib that's turned into a lie, that's turned into a whole thing, like a defining moment? Yep. If, let's say that he felt he was being mistreated, but from the perspective of the studio, legality, the whole nine, it was just creative differences, and you're good. Because this has been escalated to such a thing for him and his whole persona and narrative right now, if every single stage of it it's proven to be like it's not abuse it's just unfortunate it's not abuse it's just unfortunate as the person making the claim how do you pivot from that you got to double down right yeah like how, how do you like it would take the largest piece of humble pie to own your misinterpretation of it and your your piece of the escalation however um all that other stuff, yeah. No, why, why hasn't he been around? Is is he difficult to work with? Did they spread rumors about him for everything else to to keep him from getting work? Like the dude's claim to fame is a is a is a cut of a movie that didn't exist until a year ago and um, a podcast. Yeah. And also add into like everything that Len said and that you're saying, just some moments of harshness from Joss Whedon on set like maybe yelling when you really shouldn't be yelling or Jeff John saying look man this is the way the movie is now I'm yeah, sorry but like nice. if you yeah. or or even saying like because I, I dimly remember he said something like look if you make a stink about this your career is going to take a hit or be over right that could also just be saying Look, get actors that make big stinks about when their movie doesn't go their way don't tend to get hired for more movies. And but throw in everything that Len was saying about how you know, you're you're going to be this huge star, or if not huge star, you've got multiple movies on your docket and now nothing. And not unfairly, those things can really start to seem like abuse. Probably, yeah. you know. Um, it is like a charitable view and Samuel David mentions also Flash is a way bigger character than Cyborg in general which yeah. is accurate I mean Cyborg has strong potential but studios you know they're going to make a movie 
maybe about a character that has been consistently popular and had multiple when, TV shows. When was the last time we had a cyborg ongoing? It was a couple years ago, right? And it was only 20 or so issues, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember that? It was, it was like post-New 52. I think it was DCU, and then I think it ended with Rebirth. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, was like, more of a team character. It's not that he couldn't be. I think, you know, he's... He's, he's popular maybe. in the cartoons, and that's about it. The, but they've been... He is very popular in the cartoons, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he is, you know, like, he is a strong part of every Well, it's also because, like, they took him out of the Teen Titans, and a lot of people know him as a Teen Titan, so... It's hard yeah, well, I mean, to... New 52 made him a part of the original yeah. seven, right? It always like, was a little... He's a founding member of the JLA now. Right, which is what people yeah. kind of have a problem with. People are like, no, we want him, we like him more with, like, yeah. Dick and Wally and everything. I was thought of him recently. He's like he's almost like the snapper car a bit of the Justice League <laughs> New Fifty Two. Wow. Like he's he's there. He's way more useful than Snapper Car is. Like he's a hero, but he doesn't seem like he's not an adult like the other ones. And he never really in the New Fifty Two seemed to take on like an equal position well, with the other characters. Um, the New Fifty Two made him a a glorified MacGuffin. Yeah. The only thing True. that made him yeah. special in the New 52 was the fact that he was of uh, apocalyptic technology, of right. a mother box. So he was constantly just a plot point. Right. Like, they never characterized him. He was just a, another plot point. Like, during the yeah. the Forever Evil, he was a plot point to be taken yeah. over by Grid. During the Apocalypse War, he was a plot point because he was apocalyptic technology. Like, yeah. even now, in Deceased... He's just a MacGuffin to spread the yeah. anti-life virus. Like people aren't using him in yeah. the comics, let alone. Whereas he in had gotten other to, media. like pre New Fifty Two, he had gotten to be like an elder statesman of the yeah. younger generation. And yeah, he was the Titans. He, he right? stands out so well in Teen Titans, and then putting him in Justice League. It, it, I don't know. I think he's so identified as being a teenager that he wasn't, uh, didn't like fully vibe with what the Justice League, like the seven greatest heroes kind of thing. I don't know. That's not anything to do with Ray Fisher. <laughs> no, I, I think it's yeah. a mismanagement of the character altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Like you if if you tell me this character is incredibly important, yeah. show me. Yeah. Don't just use them as a plot point. Right? Yeah. Like tell me a story. Yeah, uh, Samuel Davis yeah. said that uh, he liked him in mm. Justice League. Um, which Rob Patey says is now the new New 52. Um, I actually like, even though it was along those same lines, I appreciated what they did with Cyborg on uh, Young Justice and reverting mm. him back to a teenager, yeah. which is where he belonged, rebuilding up his, his character um, and delving into that uh, a little bit more. I appreciated that so much more. That, that was the first really while not wholly original but the first interesting thing they've done with that character in a very very long time mm. yeah i mean teen titans go is outstanding <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we're just i i mean we're just gonna see how this plays out because i mean for all intents and purposes he's going to have the biggest movie of his career mm come out again in September of 2021 yeah uh, on HBO Go HBO Max sorry mm. 
So, like, I mean, no matter, and that ship's not sailing, no matter how this all, or that ship's not, not sailing. Oh, fuck it. And you know what? No matter how this all, like, comes out. I I, I will also uh, pivot a little bit. Another interesting thing they've done with Cyborg is also on DC Universe, now on HBO Max, because he's a member of Doom Patrol. And he's interesting in Doom Patrol as well. And the guy's a better actor than Ray Fisher. Maybe because he's giving me a little bit more to do, but I certainly believe him. You know why? Because he looks, he looks like Cyborg from Teen Titans Go brought to life because he's a little shorter, a uh, little bit more stockier as opposed to the traditional Cyborg who is actually a taller, you know, more, you know, like athletic looking uh, guy. The Doom Patrol one looks like the most f- popular cyborg, which is the Teen Titans Go Teen Titans version, and it's great. Should we move hey, on? I gotta watch that. Let's move on. What's your final story, uh, Brandon? There's a big boom at Kickstarter. Yay! So <laughs> Boom <laughs> Boom Comics is doing a puns, Kickstarter puns, 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 with puns, um, puns, 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 what is puns. It called? Berserker. <laughs> Yeah, Keanu Berserker. Re- Keanu Reeves' comic Berserker, um, uh, Boom Studios is doing a Kickstarter for it, and people are not happy. Why aren't they happy? Yeah. I can guess why, but I want you to tell us. I mean, I don't necessarily have the article up, but I know what I've heard. You want me to just go, or no, do you have it? Uh, I don't have the article, but I've, I've like, can we say it's written, the, the book itself is written by... Um, Matt Kent and Keanu Reeves with art by Ron Garney. It's already been solicited. It's coming out next month in issues. Mm-hmm. This Kickstarter is only for the first three trades to be pre-purchased coming out in September 2021, April 2022, and September 2022. So you're essentially pre-purchasing the graphic novels for a sh- book that's coming to stores in issues starting this month go it's dumb i hate it i don't like it i so the controversy itself is what like Mm. this is this is already one of the biggest um pre-ordered books for boom And, and it's already been solicited it's already going to shops right so now to have a Kickstarter campaign for uh, the book in the future, I get that it's it's kind of shoring the funds to complete the story, yep. but it was already successful, and the way that they've structured the Kickstarter, it almost it completely excludes retailers. So a lot of Kickstarters will have like a retailer p- tier where like you get a, a discount or this many or this many to like sell them in the stores. But there's literally only one or two things that are special for the Kickstarter. All they're doing is taking potential sales from stores mm-hmm. because you're just buying the hardcover or the, the trade as is. Rob Patey says that Op- Boom is using Kickstarter to cover their... Operating, you gotta com- operating expenses. Operating I expenses. Is what yeah. and, and that's exactly how I see it. This is boom. 
using Kickstarter as a way to put some guaranteed money into uh, Keanu Reeves' pocket. And, and that's where I'm a boo on. You've got Keanu Reeves. All right, Keanu Reeves has made $20 million a movie <laughs> for the last 10, 15 years. All right, maybe not for every movie, certainly for those uh, Matrix movies and the re-releases and the residuals. He's been making money hand over fist for John Wick. Keanu Reeves makes money. Keanu Reeves is also noted as one of the more, one of the best guys in Hollywood. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves. So who doesn't want to do business with Keanu Reeves? You've got him signed on to do this comic book, which you know somehow will become a movie. And you want us to help you pay him. No. Pay the man. Just pay him. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird in a gross way. So like I I I love kickstarting books. I think it's actually really fun, especially when it's things that are exclusive to Kickstarter or putting money directly to the artist. Like, if there's things that I could order through JD, I will. If there's stuff that's on Kickstarter that is more, like, direct to the artist or, or whatnot, that's awesome. I read through the whole thing, and I was like, wait, this is the same goddamn book I've already ordered, yeah. and you're providing me literally nothing other than a different cover for the trade that's going to come out. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a cheaper cost. If these trades are $20, like, it's... The, the the tier is, I think, $68, not counting shipping and handling for the first three trades with an exclusive cover. That's over $20 for each trade paperback that's not hardcover. That, that's not cheaper than stores. You're not giving me anything. You're actually overcharging me. And then they've got these ridiculous tiers of, like, you can get it in a hardcover for $85. Oh, you can get it in slipcases, like like little absolutes for, I don't know, what do you, what do you guys think? $500, $1,000, $2,500. It's fucking ridiculous. Like, and people are eating them up. Like, I was looking at the, the Kickstarter, and it, it was completely funded in, like, an hour, and now it's up to, like, $500,000 or close to it for these hardcovers and trade paperbacks that will anyway be uh, in your stores. And, there's like I said, there's no retailer tier. There's no, like... There's no benefit for the retailer to kickstart one of these like tiers to get stock by that for, through them via just the normal channels and diamond. It's annoying. I, I thought that uh, like I think that the the controversy is a little much, but we should call them out on their shit. Like you, you're sitting on a gold mine and you're expecting us to fund the rest of your gold mine. Like. Well, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same thing when big you 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 hear that there are stars out there who are doing kickstarters for their for some of their projects. I think uh, Spike Lee got called out for doing. I I think it was a Kickstarter or Indiegogo for some movie uh, project that he was doing. There've been other people who've been called out called out on their ish. So this one, so Keanu's going going through boom, um, and then and boom is uh, Rob Patey like pointed it out they probably shorted themselves signing Keanu so this is to expand their margins I mean it's like it's it's total BS and it's total it's a total bastardization of what the whole idea the premise behind Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and these crowdfunding 
platforms was. It, the whole idea of them was so that the layman, the lay artist, could uh, reach out to their fan base and potentially beyond to help fund their creative in, endeavors. But, it, but that was based on the premise that for one reason or another, you cannot afford to do this. In, in, in a sustainable way so you're asking for your fan base to help you on, on it for this to happen with Ke with Keanu Reeves signed on it Keanu if you really want to put out a comic Keanu yo, for real if Keanu Reeves wanted to put out a comic Keanu Reeves could put out a comic he don't need Boom Studios <laughs> to do it you know what I mean so he damn sure don't need my money to do it so get the fuck out of here I just I, I, you know what I would I would even be more I would be even more aligned with it if it was cheaper than cover price which it could easily be cheaper than cover price and they're only selling the exclusives right leave the normal trade dress or version to the shops and the bookstores because that's going to happen anyway mm. kickstarter is supposed to be ancillary and or supportive not a shop like they'll even they even say in their in the, on their website they are not a store they are a funding platform mm. so Boom is treating it like a pre-order store, and it's annoying. I, I, so I don't inherently have any problem with the idea of a major corporation saying, hey, if people are interested in this, pay us for it, and we'll make it, right? Kickstarter, like, the issue for me comes in if there's a, uh, now the original intent of Kickstarter can't happen anymore because, uh small creators are edged out on Kickstarter for, you know, for whatever reason. I don't see a, an easy way to stop that other than, like, self-policing. Or Kickstarter could say, look, if you're a, if you're a company, then you can't. Form here, there, there must be some, there must be some legal reason that that's difficult to do. And also, I think it's important, um, all of the bad stuff, the retailer stuff, I, I don't disagree. Nobody is being forced to pay for this. You know what I mean? The people who are plunking down crazy amounts of money for something that I would never pay $500 for, they can do that. You know what I mean? The, it, yeah. The, I, read, I read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It does not, at least that I can remember, once say it is mm -hmm. a single-issue comic book available at retailers mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It's on the Kickstarter. It is, it is expressly uh, promoted as... Yeah. A series of graphic novels. They constantly mm. keep saying a series of graphic novels. They do not mention whatsoever that this has already been pre-solicited and mm. coming to shops in single-issue format starting next month. And That's like, underhanded. They are completely it. ignoring yeah. the the direct market and sell and pre-selling the trade paperbacks. Well, also the idea that if Kickstarter is for things to get funded, if it already exists or will exist elsewhere independent of Kickstarter. That's kind of unseemly, you know. A, com a comparative, a comparative Kickstarter is one that was just also done, um, or th that was just also launched by Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel. Mm -hmm. They're doing a creator-owned book for Image mm -hmm. starting next year. The idea for the Kickstarter is fund the first arc of this book, mm -hmm. right? Like they want to earn, they they want to pay, they want to prepay the staff for the book before sales come out, and they're not taking a paycheck. So the mm -hmm. idea of the Kickstarter is. If you fund this uh, this Kickstarter, you will receive the first issue. But it's not just the issue so much as 
it's a oversized hardcover script book of the first issue. So right. it's just pencils on one page and full script on the other page. So it's an artifact hmm. that doesn't underhand the sales and direct market. It's it's an artifact that you could purchase singularly to fund the hmm. book for the people that are working on it. Hmm. I think that's a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're not under yeah. yeah, that's that's great. That's a great idea and it's something that's only available through the Kickstarter so you can support this book that you're interested in reading and get like this really cool kind of thing for it. Hmm. This is expressly kind of undermining future sales at stores. Yeah. And not even mentioning that it's in a different format in yeah. the meantime kind of yeah. thing. And that's that just feels gross. That feels icky. Yeah. That part that part is shitty. Uh I Rob Fady says, um, pay before made, no Brian, I will not fund the Zoom, which I think is sort of uh, related to it. Um, but, but with art, it's different. You know, I feel like, I remember thinking when Arrested Development was being canceled after season three, I was like, why can we not just pay them? We can download it on iTunes afterwards. Why can't we just say, I will give you $3 now? If you will make more Arrested Development episodes, and enough, if enough people do it, then they make it, you know. Um, well, that's what they did with the um, Veronica Mars movie, right? I believe like, so. Yeah. They got yeah. people to fund, like yeah. they funded up to a million, and because they funded a million, they covered the rest. Warner was like, "I'll we'll cover the rest because right, you, right, yeah." And so I, it was, but I think you're right. Yeah. That that's a good way for that to go about. Like when you're talking about the image, these are two very similar things: one done in a good way, and one not done in a good way. Um, uh, to support the ongoing nature of the book rather yeah, than to support I, I would have from it. I would have supported, like, honestly, the only reason why I didn't, like, support the Kickstarter for the Scott Snyder book, I think it's called Nocturna, Noctura or something like that, mm-hmm. um, it's because I don't really dig Tony S. Daniel. No. Mm. But I, <laughs> I like the idea, like, the idea of, of what they're trying to do in order to get the whole team paid before having to to wait for trade paperback sales so they could, like, do their whole story. Great mm-hmm. idea. Awesome. Like, you're big names and you'd probably be fine, but now you don't have to, like, wait months to pay your colorist and your letterer and your, mm-hmm. like, I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's smart. That's very smart. Yeah, I'm not a big Tony Daniels fan either, and I'm becoming, to be honest, less and less of a Scott Snyder fan, but mm-hmm. um, I appreciate the idea behind their Kickstarter, so... That's pretty cool. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Uh, All right. We have been. This has been fun. This yeah. Been, this has been a fun episode uh, edition of Gutter Talk. We hope that each and every one of you out there watching us on Facebook and Twitter and Twitch have enjoyed our regular Sunday spoiler alert Gutter Talk jamboree. Um, shout out to JD who is going through. Um, has some some things that he had to deal with this morning and that's why he couldn't be with us uh this morning ladies and gentlemen but god willing and the creek don't rise he will be back here sunday morning next week to to give you all of his thoughts and concerns on the comic books that we all have read this week and to join us in the borders of the comic book page for more gutter talk with you Let's start with Brian. Where can people reach you, Brian? Do you have anything that you want to promote real quick? I do. I'll tell you what. I did not know that the white spaces in the page were called gutters until I started uh, being invited on this show with you guys. 
I had never heard that term before, and uh, I will promote my current knowledge of that term. <laughs> and uh, I am. <laughs> I am I, you know, yeah. You you joke, but like, uh, um, so we do we do with with JD Shop. We do book clubs once a month, also or twice a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and him and I started having a conversation about gutter loss with larger books, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. half of the panels of people's faces were just like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" <laughs> so we ended up having like a really quick five minute tutorial about gutters, yeah. gutter loss. Larger mm-hmm. start of the book mm-hmm. hurts left to right. Like, yeah, it was it was actually really funny. Nice, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can be found at brianleibdesign.com. The sun just went away. Mm. It sure did. Not because of the. My website was there before. It didn't just. It did nothing to do with the sun. <laughs> uh, Brandon. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Brandon. Um, you can catch me. I don't know. Just chase me somewhere. I don't really have anything online. But uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, big thanks to Brandon for putting time codes and links and stuff in mm. these videos for later. Uh, if you like that, like the thing, and, it, and Brandon gets a hug from a <laughs> celestial spirit every time that you do. So Yay. like and subscribe. Brandon feels happy for it. Mm-hmm. And look at that man. He could use all the hugs he can get. <laughs> no, it's... I'm gonna get you. Oh, knocked over something. Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, you could find me on Street Corner. Life's hard. <laughs> no. Um, you, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mr. Bartocci, M R B A R T O C C I, or on Facebook, YouTube. We do videos all week. Just jump on the Cult Pop social medias, and we say hey. You can't, you can't say that life is hard, no, as you sit there. No, it's not. Literally, like, l- I'm all right. Look, sitting in the midst of a hey. Downton Abbey library of comic books. <laughs> you cannot say that life is hard, my friend. Here's, here's the thing. I am constantly so, – so there's a bunch on there right now because I'm in the middle of a reorg mm. and dusting. <laughs> uh, but I get away with it because, I mean, you know, I get away with it in a – funds sense with my significant other uh, because I upcycle a lot. Mm. I sell things to fund things and back and forth. Mm. So it's, the library is constantly in flux. Well done. Big fan of, big fan. Oh, he needs those omnibuses for food. Yeah, I do eat the omnibus. <laughs> yeah, like a caterpillar or something. Yeah, the, the ones, paper. so the, the top shelf over here this the 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 Mar- or the Marvel set. Mm-hmm. I eat one a month. Mm. So uh, so like, yeah, I, I physically eat one a month. So are you literally sa- are you saving the history of the Marvel universe for Thanksgiving? Is that exactly uh, the history of the Marvel? <laughs> so it's because it's a treasury edition. It's more like junk food. <laughs> like, oh, it would have been a it, big there's meal. A whole thing. It's a whole and universe. Single issues. Yeah, single issues are like spices. <laughs> it's. I, I eat, I eat. Absolutes are, are like holiday meals. If that works out to more or less than food would be. Uh, it's, it's more calorie dense because oh, it's see. like a hard cover and then the slipcase. Like yeah. it's, it's more filling. I can Wait, do this where can day. people find you? You want to guess and me? <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me any place that you find the Black Tribbles, my podcast and 
uh, YouTube channel. Go to at Black Tribbles on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Holler at a Tribble. Um, you can join us on Monday. This the next thing coming up Mondays at 9 p.m. where we bring you the Safe Tribble Travel Guide to Lovecraft Country, our weekly review of HBO's new hit series. Show is dope. Thank you, thank you. Support the spoiler alert. Go to talk Jamboree. Yes. We you can also find JD at JD's Hero Complex. I was about to do that. Support Ah. spoiler alert and (laughs) the gutter talk jamboree. Just like uh Brian said, go to patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo. Feel free to email us all of your thoughts and concerns to JD's Hero Complex at gmail.com or you can email them to blacktribbles at gmail.com if you like as well, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you, each and every one of you, for taking the time to sit with us and listen to us pontificate on comics. And until we return again to your streaming visage next week, in parting, we say... Read the history of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> Watch Mark Doctor Wade Who. And <laughs> As we sign off every show. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. Or good day. Go mask up. Be good to one another. Good day. And don't forget to say your prayers. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! And Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>